Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, so I have this image in my head whenever I start a book. And this image comes from the fact that I grew up in New York City and took the subway to school. So I always picture a kid sitting on a subway, but it could just as well be the school bus or a car and their noses in a book. And they're so engrossed in that book that all the chaos all around them just disappears, melts away because they're in another world, like physically in another world, in the world of the book. That is always my goal when I write. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. Award-winning author Ellen Potter is on the show today to talk about Squirrelish, The Girl in the Tree, which is the first in a laugh-out-loud series of chapter books about a girl raised by squirrels in Central Park. Ellen Potter is the author of more than 20 award-winning novels for children and young adults, including Olivia Kidney, Slob, The Bigfoot, and Littlefoot series, the Piper Green and the Fairy Tree series, the Humming Room, Pish Posh, and the Kneebone Boy. Several of her books have been chosen by the New York Public Library for their Best 100 Books for Children list and have appeared on numerous state reading lists. Her nonfiction writing book, Spilling Ink, a young writer's handbook, co-authored with Anne Mazur, was also chosen by the New York Public Library as a Best 100 Books for Children. Ellen lives in upstate New York with her family. Before I share our conversation, here's the synopsis for Squirrelish, The Girl in the Tree. A girl raised by squirrels in Central Park tries to make human friends in this laugh-out-loud, highly illustrated first book in a new chapter book series perfect for fans of Sophie Mouse and Critter Club. Cordelia is a girl who lives in a tree in Central Park. Found as a baby and raised by an adoring squirrel named Shakespeare, Cordelia acts just like any other young squirrel, leaping across treetops, chasing her squirrel friends, and sleeping in her treehouse. Still, she wonders what it would be like to have a human friend. And when she stumbles into a gymnastics class, it seems like she might have a chance. Living in a tree might have made Cordelia an exceptional gymnast, but people skills are a whole other matter. Even if Cordelia can't fully fit in with the other kids, can she at least make one friend? Cordelia starts her journey to be not exactly a girl, but more than a squirrel, squirrelish. Hello, Ellen. Welcome. 
welcome to the Growing Readers Podcast, or today I feel like I should say good day and may you never have fleas. <laughs> good day and may you never have fleas. <laughs> uh, well, th- there's a reason we had that introduction, um, and I think our listeners may need to read the book to find out why we had that introduction, but you're here to talk about your chapter book, and I know I'm going to mess up the title, so you're going to have to correct me. Squirrelish, The Girl in the Tree, which is the first of what will be the Squirrelish series. So did I say the title correctly today? Perfectly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's not your first chapter book you've ever written, and it's only one of your 26 books. Is that number correct? That's correct. I have to recount, but I think it's at least 26. That's amazing. So we have to ask the question, what drives you and guides you in creating books for children? And how has that changed since your very first book? Well, I want to start by saying, first of all, I love this podcast. This is what I listen to in my car. I love it. And it's a real, real treat to be talking to you. Um, I have to interrupt and just say, uh, you absolutely made my day by saying that. So thank you. (laughs) The truth. So, um, so what, so what, what drives me to write for kids? Well, I don't have a fancy answer. I really don't enter any of my books with an agenda or even a theme. It's really simple. I really write to delight kids. That's it. And of course, as you're writing, and sometimes only at the end of a book, do you realize there are intrinsically these themes that have emerged? And that's great. That's like a bonus. But I'm really, really, I'm driven by, okay, so I have this image in my head whenever I start a book. And this image comes from the fact that I grew up in New York City and took the subway to school. So I always picture a kid sitting on a subway, but it could just as well be the school bus or a car and their nose is in a book. And they're so engrossed in that book that all the chaos all around them just disappears, melts away because they're in another world, like physically in another world, in the world of the book. That is always my goal when I write is I want to transport my readers because I love that in a book. That's what I'm always uh, going for. I started out actually writing for adults. And my first book for adults was published, I think, three days before my first book for kids. And I just really found that it was much more fun to tell stories to kids. That, that And so I went in that, in that direction. It's just, it's a joy. And plus one of the big perks of writing for kids is actually being able to go into classrooms. Now I do a lot of virtual um, visits and talking to kids about writing and, and getting them excited about writing. The kids are already there at a certain age. They're, they understand story better than a lot of adults. So it's just really fun to kind of ignite that in them a little bit more. That's amazing. What's one of your favorite things about doing the school visits? Oh, what I really love, and I'm always, this happens often, um, and it always makes me so happy, is when I get, after the visit, I get a note from a teacher, an email saying, this child or that child had no interest in writing. And after you left, a lot of times I do like a little workshop before um, we end, that child just wanted to keep writing. They just didn't want to stop. So that I love. I love when 
when you take a kid who may be a little fearful of writing or not really get the 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 playfulness of writing and you show it to them and then they're in and then they love it. Yeah. I wish that there was even more funding for schools. So many schools even struggle to have a, li- a librarian. And I wish that there was more funding for author visits because I've done them myself. And it is amazing to see those kids come to life and just get so excited about reading, about writing. And the way that I'm sure you've had this where they come up to you and start telling you ideas for their stories or ideas for your next story. And they just, they just it lights a fire in them. So I love that. It does. And and sometimes I, I always think, wow, you know, the, their ideas are often so good. They have great concepts. They think, oh, you know, if the publishers could just be flies on the wall, <laughs> they have so many different ideas. But what I did start when COVID hit um, and, you know, the, the a lot of the teachers were, were just struggling even through the technology. I did offer to do free virtual visits just because I... My book tour, you know, was shut down. Actually, my father passed during that time. So there's a lot. And I felt like I just wanted to do something. And so that's when I started um, just shouting out, hey, I can, you know, offer free visits, virtual visits. And of course, like it was overwhelming. So I was doing like five visits a day. My voice was going, but it, it was amazing. And I got to connect with kids all over the world. I, you know, like in Russia, in in France, like all over the place. And of course in the States. And it was a really great way to have a human connection at a time when we were all, you know, just so shut down like that. Yeah. So yeah. I love that. And it's such a nice way to give back when when you can do it. So exactly. All right. Well, since you are, I think officially we can say you're a very seasoned writer. So Mm -hmm. I have to imagine that not every book comes so easily. So do you ever have struggles when you sit down to write a book? Oh, so this is the thing that I always tell kids because it is something I wish I'd known earlier. I tell this to also, you know, younger writers or writers that are struggling through it. I have a hard time writing, even though I've written all these books, it's never easy. And and I, a friend of mine reminded me when I, when I called her up and I was like, oh, this book is just so hard to write. She said, you know, you say that with every single book you write. So it's, it's a struggle for me. I get stuck constantly. Every time I sit down, I get stuck. So I like to tell young writers and kids um, that it's it's as fun as writing is. And it really is fun. I mean, like what a job. You get to wake up in the morning and like tell stories. That's a great job. But it's also really challenging. And there you, you hit a lot of rough spots where you're tempted to just give up. But as a writer, you sort of gather up these um these tools to help you out during those real rough spots so that, that like sort of strategies to get beyond that to get past that so you can keep going but if you expect it if you know it's going to happen then you don't panic and think oh my story is no good or oh I'm not a good writer there's so ma- there's so many pitfalls where you can just sort of sink into self-doubt but if you know that this is a normal part of the writing process you can kind of you can move through it and always in your head knowing there's always revision. This is a first draft. I think what a lot of people, whether they're children or adults, don't realize that a lot of the magic happens in those revisions. And and we often have to revise a lot 
you know, to get to the finished product. So, I mean, occasionally I think things spill out just as you want them to be, but so much of the magic comes from in the editing and the revisions. Yes. Yes. I mean, the, the, my best writing has, has always come out in revision. When you are having sort of a tough spot or you have a problem to solve in the story, what, what are some of the strategies that you fall back on to, do you have any special tools or? Yeah. I mean, I, I have so many ways of approaching it and not all of them work each time. So I'll try different things. But one of my go-to is super simple. I have dogs, so I take them for a walk. And there is something, I don't know what this is. I'm sure they've done studies on this, but there is something about walking and thinking that just gives it, I come back with knowing what to do next. I mean, it almost always works. Another really simple thing that I do is if I'm stuck I and I'm writing on a computer, I switch and write by hand. In fact, when I usually, when I start my stories, I always start by writing in a notebook by hand. And I think, and I don't know if it's the hand to brain connection, but I've noticed that um, ideas, my imagination tends to be a little more fluid when I'm writing by hand rather than on a computer. Of course, I have deadlines. So um, once I sort of know where my book is going, I switch and write on a computer. But every time I get stuck, I go back to writing by hand. So that's something else I do is, is go when I'm stuck, I write by hand. And then one other thing uh, is I ask for help. And I always tell this to kids, like, you don't have to do this alone. Yeah, writing is a lone activity in many ways. But if if I'm stuck, and I don't know which way to go next, I'll call a friend or I'll talk to my husband or my son, and I'll tell him the story, I'll have him read it. And I'll say, what do you think? What would happen next? What would this character do? A lot of times, I don't actually take the suggestions, they're not exactly right, but just the act of talking it out really helps me to kind of see things in a little bit of a different way. So there's a, there are many, many ways to approach being stuck, but it is just part of it. It's part of it. So this is a question you've probably heard me ask a lot of people. To be a writer, they say you should be a reader first. So my question for you today is, have you always been a reader or is there a person, a moment or a book that you feel turned you into a reader? I've always been a reader. It's absolutely so important to be a reader if you want to write, have to, like you just have to, because you develop an ear for language, like you would develop an ear for, for music. It, the only way to really develop it is by reading. So um, growing up, my parents would take us to this bookstore. Um, it was down in uh, lower Manhattan and it was a used bookstore. It looked like something out of Diagon Alley. Seriously, like it had, you know, the the door that would, the bell would tinkle when you went in and the creaky wooden floors and floor to ceiling books with that ladder that would roll around. And they sold books for 10 cents a piece. So my brothers and I were allowed to take as many books as we could hold and and buy them. It, this was the hugest, hugest treat for, for me, for all of us, I think. And so, you know, there would always be in that little stash of books, it'd always be like one book that was really, really good that you were reading like past your bedtime under the covers, you know, the flashlight. So when I found as a kid, when you have like a book that you just love, that you're just like thinking into, they're wonderful but then they end. And that's just can feel kind of devastating. You've been in this world that you loved hanging out in, and then suddenly you're just yanked out of it. So I realized then, you know, 
know, I could write whatever world I wanted to hang out in and, and whatever characters I wanted to meet, I could write them. So I started writing because I, I loved reading. It was a direct line. The one book, there was one book that was actually like a moment that really stands out. And it was when I was 11, I was in the school library and the, the school librarian knew I read voraciously. So she would always, you know, direct me to, to books that she thought I'd like. So she directed me to Harriet the Spy. And I remember picking it up and I started reading it and immediately loved it. And it was, I don't really think I've had any other epiphanies in my life. This was, it was like a genuine epiphany where I said, oh, the best books in the world are written for kids. Like they're the, the best books in the world are for, for kids. Like I knew it. And then of course I thought, well, I'm not going to be a kid for much longer. I'm going to, you know, get older. And then am I still going to remember how much I love kids books? So I right then and there, I said, okay, if I can't always be a kid, I'm going to write for kids. And that really that really kind of, you know, cemented it. As I got older, I started to kind of veer away from that. And I was writing more for adults and, but always with, uh, on the side, I would, I would always be sort of tinkering with these children's stories that were so much more fun to write than (laughs) the books for adults. Yeah. So it sounds like you've always wanted to be a writer. And so now if, if the count is right, we're at 26 books. And I I mean, you had more than one book come out this year. So we could be talking about a bunch of books, but we're going to focus on Squirrelish, the girl in the tree. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us all what it's all about? Well, Squirrelish is about, well, I'll tell you where it came from. And then I can tell you where, what it's about because it's from that. So it, the idea came from um, a friend of mine who had found a um, a baby squirrel in her on on the ground in her backyard probably fell out of its nest so she put it in a box because she wasn't sure if the mom was around somewhere she put it in a box right so kept it where it was so she could keep it warm and watched at her kitchen window to see if the mother would come back so the mother did not come back so she took the baby in and she she had the box and I think she fed it puppy formula through a tweezer I think that's what she did and to keep it warm, she she put the squirrel in her bra <laughs> during the day. So like, to, it was so tiny. And she was a writer too. So she would write and the little squirrel would be in there and she'd be doing her dishes. And she actually raised the squirrel successfully. And then she she let it go. And it uh, it took a while. Like it was, it would go out for an hour and then come back and then it longer until finally it did finally leave. But she said it would appear like when she was doing dishes it would appear at her kitchen window like and she let it in and then it would hang out for a while and then go back out so I love that story and you know as a writer you're always alert for for story ideas so I thought okay so what if it was the other way around and those what ifs are so crucial I always tell this to kids like that's where we build our ideas. What if, what if, and letting your your mind just play. So I thought well what if it's the other way around and what if a a squirrel finds a baby human. And what if that squirrel takes the baby up to its nest in in its elm tree in the middle of Central Park? And what if this squirrel raised this little little girl as his own? And so what if she becomes like the squirrel girl of Central Park and she can climb trees like a squirrel and hop from branch to branch like a squirrel and talk to the squirrels? And But what if she also begins to yearn for a human friend. So that idea started to to roll around in my head and that's really where it where it came from. The other thing though and I I, I think many writers experience this is that 
when you're writing a book, a lot of times your life sort of bleeds into the book without you even realizing it. And then it's sometimes it's only apparent after the book is finished, which is what happened in this case. So when I was writing Squirrelish, it was my son's last year in high school. So I knew he was going to be going off to college, which I had been dreading since he was five years old. Probably, you know, just I, I, like as a parent, you're you want your kid to to be independent and have their own agency and be fine with walking out the door. But you're also as a, as a parent selfishly like kind of terrified <laughs> of that moment. So that that was like looming as I was writing this. So when I re you know, when I was reading it over. And I saw that that the squirrel, whose name is Shakespeare, one of his worries is that he'll lose this little girl, Cordelia, is that she'll eventually grow up and want to, you know, be with other humans. And, you know, he's sort of uh, worried about her making human friends because he knows that this is maybe a step toward that separation. And when I read it, I was like, oh, <laughs> I see what I did there. <laughs> but yeah, that. So that was definitely in there. I feel like sometimes when we write stories too, they're they're almost healing for ourselves. And then that healing comes across in the stories for whoever's reading it to, you know, take away if they need to, too. I, so I, I wonder if you want to share a highlight or like even a favorite quote from the book or do you have a copy next to you? I do have a copy next to me. I'll read a little passage that actually connects to what I just told you. So Cordelia has made a friend, a human friend, a boy named Isaac. And Shakespeare, who is the squirrel, is watching this. And he turns to another squirrel, Miss Gertrude, who's very wise. And he says this. Do you think it's good for Cordelia to have human friends? Miss Gertrude was quiet for a moment. Then she said, Every once in a while, a human will find a baby squirrel who is all alone. And that human will take the baby squirrel home and feed it and keep it warm and safe. That's very kind of them, Shakespeare said. Yes, it is, agreed Miss Gertrude. And if the human is very wise, they will help the baby squirrel learn how to do squirrely things, like how to climb trees and find acorns and play with other squirrels. Because one day, that baby squirrel will grow into a big squirrel. It may want to live with other squirrels instead of humans. Shakespeare thought about this. He felt a little sad lump in his throat as he said, I suppose one day Cordelia might want to live with other people instead of us squirrels. Maybe, Miss Gertrude said gently. Not for a very long time, of course, but maybe, someday. In that case, Shakespeare said, it's probably good for her to do humanish things, like playing with other children. You are a very wise squirrel, said Miss Gertrude. Thank you, Miss Gertrude, said Shakespeare. I think when I think when I reread that in revision, that's when I was like, oh, I see, <laughs> I get it. So it can actually be like healing for readers, but also you know healing as as the author too.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I think the great thing about this particular story is that it's going to appeal to readers that just love a fun, silly idea. I mean, the absurdity of of a squirrel taking a little baby up to the tree and raising this girl in the tree, the way you tell that is so humorous and so funny. But then the heart behind the story is what you've shared. And from your perspective, you noticed that that was tied into your feelings with your son going to college. And then I noticed just as a mom of of three kids, I also have one that's applying for college right now. So next year she will be. So I'm feeling that. But I also have two younger kids. And I noticed that desire to fit in. Even, you know, the kids that have a good, solid friendship, they always have a moment in their school schooling life where they struggle to fit in or they feel like they don't fit in. Even if it appears that they have this amazing group of friends, you know, there's always those struggles. And then there's the kids that really do struggle with finding a group of, of buddies on, on the playground. I really took away that part where Cordelia just feels like, obviously, she's maybe ready to stop branching out and meeting humans, but that struggle is definitely there for her. So I just love the way that you build in the these relatable themes into your story, but build it in a way that's humorous and funny and a little bit absurd in this book. And that's what brings the joy and gets the kids into those moments of heart. So how how do you find that balance? Yeah, well, I I do love that you picked that up because as I was writing, I did see, oh yeah, this is really, this is really a theme where you have this child who doesn't quite fit in with her community and how awkward that is and how She's trying to make friends with humans, but she only knows how to make friends with other squirrels. And that process is very, very different. And it makes her look crazy and ridiculous, you know, as she's trying to, um, you know, engage the other kids in a friendship. It just isn't, it's not socially smooth. But yeah, I mean, I I love that uh, you got that out of it. And when you write a series, I think it gives you the, the bandwidth to see what you did in the first book and to say, okay. This is this has emerged. How do I work with this in the second book or the third book? So, so the second book in Squirrelish, um, which is coming out this summer, is called Shark in the Park. And so, what I thought about with Cordelia is like, okay, she she's different in her community. So, how does she find her own strengths that will actually serve her community? So, she is she as a human being, she actually is really important to to these squirrels she can do things for them that they can't do for themselves so like in the second book and the really fun part of squirrelish is i get to play around with central park so in central park there's belvedere castle which i believe used to be a weather station it looks like a full-on castle and so that's where the royal squirrel family lives so they summon cordelia to accompany the young prince 
because he's safer with a human. There are all kinds of dangers for a squirrel in a park. He's going on a quest to find um, this missing royal scepter. So the second book, I was able to work with that idea of how does Cordelia fit into this squirrel community? What are what are the things that make her feel like she is a a part of it? Like a, even though she doesn't she doesn't look like them, she doesn't act like them. Well, she does act like them, but not completely. So that was really that was really fun. And actually, the second book it also touched on this other obsession I have that that is also in my uh, middle grade book, Heather and I, which is New York City history. It's fascinating, like it's endless. So in the second book, there's a storyline that touches on Seneca Village, which is was actually before Central Park was created, there was a black settlement. It was it was actually multiracial, but but predominantly black settlement. They bought the land, they had churches, they had schools. It was right in the area where Central Park now exists. And um they were a, it was a thriving community. And when they the politicians wanted to build a park in that area, they kind of spun it to say these people are vagabonds, they're um, squatting, and they were forced to leave. So it was sort of a, a sad little piece of Central Park history. And I was able to bring in something that had been happening is there had been, uh, they'd been finding archaeological finds of this of this old village. Um, I think it started in like the 70s or 80s where they started finding things. So I was able to bring that little piece of New York history in a way that is not heavy, because of course, a chapter book, you want to keep it light and fun, but it it touches on it. And it's sort of like an emo- emotional kind of um, anchor to uh, for Cordelia. Yeah. In terms of loving where she lives and the thought of maybe what, what would it be like to have to leave it? I hope you don't mind, but I want to read a little section of Squirrelish, The Girl in the Tree. The reason I've picked this little excerpt to read is because I think it's a demonstration on the humor that you bring, but also demonstrates how delicately and gently you approach Cordelia's process of of discovering that maybe she is a little different to her squirrel community and, and and trying to fit in. What are you laughing at? Cordelia asked her. You. Why? Because you run like a human, said Kate. I do not, Cordelia replied. Yes, you do. When you run, your arms go a wonka, wonka, wonka. Kate waved her paws around in a silly way. Most of the time, Cordelia forgot she was a human. But when someone reminded her, like now, it made her feel all funny inside, like she'd swallowed a handful of earthworms. Don't pay attention to her, Bianca told Cordelia. Kate's the worst. She calls me a rat, Fenton said in a mopey way. You are a rat, Cordelia said. Yeah, but it's the way she says it, Fenton complained. Rat, like I eat garbage and stuff. You do eat garbage, Cordelia said truthfully. I eat leftovers, Fenton corrected her. There's a difference. They kept playing Dragon King, but the whole time, Cordelia kept feeling those earthworms squirming in her belly.
It's so interesting you chose that because that's the exact section that I, before the book came out, when I would read a little excerpt to the classrooms, that's the exact section I would read to them. I would love to know, what do you hope readers will ultimately take away from Squirrelish, The Girl in the Tree? Well, I hope they'll be engrossed by it and delighted by the idea of living in a nest or she actually is in a treehouse as she gets older. And I hope that they like the idea of finding your own your own legs, your own agency in any community, any place you are to to kind of hold on to who you are, what your strengths are, what your gifts are and to value that even though maybe some other people are not are not valuing you. So I guess in a in a in a deeper way that's probably what I would hope for. And then just that that they love this the community of squirrels. It's really fun because Central Park has all these different neighborhoods. So the and squirrels are very territorial. Each squirrel community reflects where they are in the park. So like Shakespeare's uh, where Cordelia lives, it's near uh the Delcourt Theater, which they do Shakespeare plays. So all the characters are named, all the squirrels are named after Shakespearean characters and have their qualities. There's uh, the squirrels that live near the boat pond. They're sort of pirates and kind of rougher. Then there are the the ones that live near the Metropolitan Museum and they're very artsy and some of them are a bit snobby. So it is really fun to play with that. And I hope kids like that as well. Yeah. And I, you, we can't not mention the super cute illustrations and the little map at the beginning. Sarah Christofori, I hope I'm saying that right. She's brilliant. And it was such a treat. Every time I got that email from my editor saying, take a look at the new illustration drafts and you open it and it's, you know, like I gasped every single time. She just sort of nails this really fun dynamic. It's light, but it's um, it's rich. Uh, she, she's. I think she's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, and I just love an illustrated chapter book. I don't recall as a kid myself. I feel like we, you know, we read picture books, or I had like a compendium of uh, fairy tales from Hans Christian Andersen that would have, you know, a scary illustration on it. And then we did the early readers in the classroom. But then it was just novels. And I I feel like there wasn't so much of this nice, beautiful bridge of an illustrated chapter book. So I love Squirrelish does that. It's it's a nice connection point between an early reader and launching into a thicker novel with no illustrations. I agree. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I need to tell you that your other book that came out, The Hither and Nigh, out Contributor for the Children's Book Review, Dr. Jen Harrison, just sent me a review, and I want to read you just a snippet of her review. And Dr. Jen Harrison says about Hither and Nye, Hither and Nye is a fresh and refreshing revamp of the classic Stolen by Fairies plotline with rich settings, complex characters, and a roller coaster pace. The story tackles some heavy topics, grief, gambling, exploitation, homelessness, poverty, but without becoming too heavy or difficult for young middle grade readers to enjoy and relate to. Nell is an endearingly down-to-earth heroine, and readers will enjoy watching her uncover the many unexpected facets of the other characters around her. 
The story also makes use of wordplay and humor, which together with the surreal supernatural setting and quirky interpretation of magic, make the narrative fun as well as fast-paced. Hither and Nigh is an unforgettable read. Thank goodness there's a sequel on the way. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, so you have the sequel coming and it's, I believe, October 10 is the release day for the sequel. I mean, we don't want to give any spoilers because we don't know who here has read the first book, Hither and Nye, and the second book is The Golden Imaginarium. Just sort of in a nutshell, since we've had the squirrel theme, what do you want listeners to know about these two books? They have been described, which sort of is fun as the breakfast club meets Harry Potter. So it is about a group of kids who've gotten into quite a bit of trouble in school and they've been uh, given a choice. They can either be expelled or join a mysterious after school club. And, and so they, they do join the club and they find they're learning magic. So the hither and nigh is uh, it's two, it's two worlds. And these kids are traveling between their own world, set in New York City, to a parallel New York City where uh, magic is is in the air. I mean, it's very easy to do magic there, but it's and it's a very beautiful place, but it's full of danger. And so they go on a quest to find um, a missing boy. I don't want to give away too much because there's a lot of spoilers. That, um, but it was. Oh, so much fun to write. There were a lot of story threads. It was very tricky to write. Um, there were a lot of threads that really had to tie in very tightly. And hopefully the sequel kind of brings it all together. In the sequel, there are there's more time spent in the Nod, which is that parallel world in New York City. It's a world that is basically built by children who have been stolen from are New York City. And it's built out of their imagination. So again, one of the things I love is New York City history. So in this, in the Nye, there are layers of, of history evident all around. So um, the kids that were brought over in the 1800s imagined tenement buildings and the Central Park that they have their goats pull carts, which actually is something that they used to do in, in, in Central Park back in the day. Um, there's There are a lot of, um, and there are monsters in the other world. It's ruled by a fairly sinister uh, magician. So it's it's a fun book. It's a lot. It's fast paced. There's a lot of adventure, some some scary stuff and some funny stuff. So I I hope it's I don't I, again I hope it's one of those reads that middle grade kids can just submerge themselves and just step into this very uh, unusual magical world for as long as they're reading the book. My eleven year old is really. We have a lot of books that come through our home. And so she gets really picky on on what books. And she had said to me right before I got Jen's review of Hither and Nye, she'd said, Mom, I need a new book. I said, well, what are you looking for? She said, well, I don't want a graphic novel. I don't want reality fiction. I don't want anything horror. I don't want anything too, too scary. I'm like, so... It sounds like maybe you're asking for a fantasy novel. She's like, yeah, with some adventure. And she goes, I mean, it could be like a little scary, but not 
not too scary. And then Dr. Jen's review came through and it just sounded so exciting the way she pitched it. And I was like, here, read this. Does this sound like the book? She's like, that sounds like the book. So we put it on audiobook then and there and she started it last night. So wonderful. See, and that's like, this is something that I think is so special about growing up now is there's so much choice in children's book when I don't really remember being able to to curate exactly the sort of book I wanted to read when I was a kid. Like there was, you know, there were some of the old standbys and and there were some wonderful books, but now it feels like kids have so many choices that they can really get attracted to what is specifically the, the story that they want. And hopefully that'll just engage them. So they'll want to keep reading more. Yes, absolutely. All right, Ellen, if we were to leave listeners with just one takeaway today, what would you want that to be? I think that for me anyway, when I pick up a book, I want to leave my life behind for a little while and I want to be in someone else's life. And when you do that, when a book completely absorbs you so that you actually feel like you've stepped into this other world, then you're sort of leaving, you're like leaving your soul open to change, to be, to experience things. You're, you're, it's almost like you're experiencing things in the moment, in real time that your characters are experiencing. And, and I think being in that kind of that, that meditative, that, that quiet, which is so rare now, I mean, there's noise all over, but being in that quiet state allows you to absorb new ideas, to entertain different ways of looking at the world or looking at other people uh, in a really powerful way, uh, maybe more powerful than actually being in your own life, because there's all these, uh, you, you come in, to, you know, you, you're sort of surrounded by all these stressors and all these preconceived notions, but books allow you to enter into different ideas, different, different ways of looking at things. Well, Ellen, thank you for always writing entertaining books, first of all. They're always relatable, even if it's there's the element of magic and fantasy and the absurdity of, of a girl living in a, in a treehouse with squirrels. You know, they're always relatable. You you tackle the themes and topics that kids need to understand out in the world, whether they're their own experiences or the experience of others. And you just do it in a way that's gentle and caring. And I love how you know when to add humor. I feel like that's a special a special skill that you have. So Skrillish the Girl in the Tree is laugh out loud funny. And I'm just grateful that you wrote it. I'm grateful I got to read it. And most of all today, I'm grateful that you came on the show. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Uh, this was just a joy. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Ellen Potter's Squirrelish, The Girl in the Tree, Hither and Nye, and The Golden Imaginarium. For more information about Ellen and her books, visit ellenpotter.com. And remember, if you love listening to the Growing Readers podcast, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe the show on your favorite podcast platform to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, this is very important 
go tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To find more books just like Squirrelish, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com. 